Welcome to episode 230. Dude, 230 episodes of Friars on the Farm. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. Oh, I'm looking forward to talking to an old friend. Old friend, who we actually talked to in, in, in separately at the game uh, this last season at Petco. Yeah, John Nolan is coming on with us today, uh, and we've had an opportunity to have our paths crossed several times between winter meetings and spring training and all this other stuff. Um, and we've talked to him a couple of times, what, at least two or three times on the podcast here over the last yeah. five years. Um, always an entertaining chat. So looking forward to talking with him here. Absolutely. But before we do that, let's do a little housekeeping. Please go on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio and hit the subscribe button. Give us a review on Apple. Also follow us on X, Instagram, Threads. Uh, we're now on YouTube. Uh, search Friars on the Farm on YouTube. Smash the subscribe button, please. It helps us out a lot. We'll be posting videos, interviews. We'll be posting this interview. Uh, and in the following season, you know, in the upcoming season, any interviews that I do up in Lake Elsinore, uh, any uh, any games that I go to and I collect video, uh, I'll be posting it on the YouTube channel. Also, we have new cool opening music. That is Thrills by Vito and the Trees. Uh, they're a local band. They're really fun. Uh, if you want to catch them on Spotify, search them on Spotify. If you want to catch them live, you can see them February 23rd at the Template in Ocean Beach. But right now, let's kick it to John Nolan. Wait, we're joined here by old friend of the podcast. And John, I think you're actually the most, you're the guest with the most appearances. Um, John Nolan, he's the media relations and voice of the Tin Caps. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. It's an absolute honor to be a recurring guest now. Uh, although, Donovan, I am having some nostalgia for the last time you and I had sat down yeah. uh, in person for a podcast episode. It was on the waterfront, uh, yeah. not too far from Petco at, uh, down in downtown San Diego. And I know, unfortunately, as we talk and record this, it's uh, pretty severely rainy um, weather leading to some flooding by you guys. Yeah. And then uh, I'm out here in Fort Wayne where last week we had sub-zero temperatures, <laughs> snow, all of a sudden uh, – a bit of an ice storm uh, here this week. So, uh, yeah, glad at least we can talk about baseball and look ahead to uh, to that beautiful weather come spring and summer. Yeah, and think dry thoughts. <laughs> Amen. Well, speaking of the weather, you guys had a bit of a late winter this year. I Usually you guys rim the infield with the Christmas lights, and I always like that shot when the snow falls and those lights glow up through it, but we never saw that this winter. Yeah, that is picturesque. And, and uh, you know, I, I know one thing we were going to talk about here, guys, just looking ahead to 2024 changes at Parkview Field, which uh, will be celebrating its 15th anniversary, believe it or not, even though it still maintained uh, it still maintains its ranking as the top ballpark, regardless of level you know, high A all the way up through uh, through triple A down to single A uh, major change for next year will be that we have a brand new playing surface the uh the sod was replaced during the off season and so we nice. didn't light up the field uh this christmas time just to spare it um as that new sod the grounds crew and you know outside uh workers put in a lot of lot a lot a lot of hours to uh to have it looking just about perfect and so uh we'll probably have it lit up uh, again next year but uh, a little bit of a different off season for the field this year oh yeah well to skip ahead to that since you brought it up what was the is the the field always looked good to me as a fan yeah. watching on TV and everything. What what was the reason? What's the change? What's different? Yeah, no doubt. And so our head groundskeeper Keith Winner and uh, his right hand guys Jake Sperry and Bryce Kinder they could definitely give a better explanation on this than me. But in short, one of the changes with Major League Baseball now overseeing the operations of Minor League Baseball is that there is there are a whole bunch of different standards that need to be met. So that includes you know. Things like having additional locker room space for females uh, here at Parkview Field. The previous offseason, we expanded the size of the weight room. Just another example of that would be uh, specifications for the field. So certainly, uh, if you're out here at the ballpark as a fan or you're watching on MILB.TV or what have you, yeah, it looked immaculate. And again, the playing surface itself has been awarded tops in all of professional baseball year after year for the Midwest League. Um, but there was a, a crown, so to speak, from the infield down towards the dugouts, down towards the outfield that was 
designed that way 15 or so years ago uh, for drainage purposes, but the uh, crown that was graded to be too steep. So uh, mm-hmm. as a result, had to uh, re-level the field, basically. And so then uh, on top of that, the sod was replaced. So yeah, it was a project that took weeks, months, uh, really began, well, planning began months and months ago. Because um, again, we're fortunate to have arguably the best grounds crew in all of uh, professional baseball and Keith Winter is just uh, incredible. So, um, but yeah, as soon as the season ended, that project was implemented and yeah, thankfully the snow, you know, there's probably been some years where there might've been snow on, uh, on Halloween. Thankfully that wasn't the case this year. And by, um, by November, pretty much they got things set and now it'll be ready for the 2024 season. So, so less there- crowd that, that means more, uh, more bunts will stay fair. Yeah, we'll we'll see uh, exactly. We'll see how it, it uh, factors in. I know, um, you know, one thing we've heard in the last couple of years with guys coming up from Lake Elsinore to here instead of in the old days, it was in reverse. Those guys in Lake Elsinore, you know, with that uh, the climate there, I think guys were benefiting from really short grass. Uh, and they're saying, you know, if they got it on the ground. It was kind of on a speed path into the outfield. Sometimes we're here. I, I don't think it's necessarily a high grass. That was really slowing things down, but by comparison to, uh, to the diamond a little bit different. Cause yeah, just, the literally the climate's quite, quite different from, uh, out West to here. Yeah. The infields are a little, a little fast out here in the Cali league. So, th- so this year, John, you guys had, you had a couple of different voices in the, in the, in the booth this year. Was that by design or was something going on? Cause I heard several different co-hosts, um, on the broadcast. Yeah. You know, out of all 120 teams in minor league baseball these days, I believe we're one of only two that have two different broadcasts, uh, for each home game at Parkview field, one for radio, one for, for a long time, we were on local TV throughout the state of Indiana as of last year with the implementation of the Bally live app as a free feature for fans to tune in from, from all over, uh, that limited our ability to be on local TV just due to the contractual broadcasting rights, again, overseen by MLB. Um, so, yeah, at times last year, um, I was joined by Derek Decker. He was he was my wingman uh, for games on the road, on the radio, too. And then uh, we've had a, a rotation of analysts over the years. We've had a few different former minor league, even major league baseball players who uh, grew up here or now live in the Fort Wayne area join me. So that's included uh, Justin Leiby, who had been in the Phillies system. Uh, and then Brett Rump, he's our, our local sports guy on, on the yeah. local sports station on the radio that the Tim Caps are on 1380 The Fan. He hosts an afternoon drive show there. and He's actually a former college uh, pitcher himself. So uh, Brett would be in the booth with me at times too. Tracy Kaufman, even a local uh, yeah. division one softball coach. Uh, Tracy joined me when her schedule allowed. So yeah, you know, we got uh, what 66 home games uh, and needless to say, it's not, uh, not really practical for somebody like on the Padre side, you know, for mud, it's his job to basically be there for all 162. Occasionally, you know, Sweeney or Tony will uh, will fill in. Here we got to kind of balance everyone's schedules, including my own. I, I should point out, you know, I, I missed uh, <laughs> this, this game here or there last year. Um, so did not get that certificate out at the end of the season for perfect attendance. Ah, So you got Mike Moss on the radio, too. It seems like he's he's been there for, what, a couple of decades now, right? Yeah, Mike Moss has been an institution here on the local radio broadcast for home games. And, uh, yeah, he certainly he predates the Tin Caps going back to the uh, the old Fort Wayne Wizards era. Well, I wanted to give a shout-out to your production folks. Um, you guys have some of the best production quality in minor league baseball, and I'm sure it rivals some of the some of the major league uh, crews with the information you guys put up on the screen and, you know, all the different camera angles that you have. So shout-out to those guys that Absolutely. don't get to get in front of a microphone or a camera. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. So Melissa Herrings, our director of video production, and Jared Law, our assistant uh, director for video production. And yeah, I'd like to, you know, I probably bring bring down the overall grade of the broadcast uh, on air <laughs> in terms of the uh, the nuts and bolts of the production, and then so many different guys and girls uh, on the crew running the cameras and the positions in the control room. Last year we had Jake Ulrey and Nolan Bullman as. Uh, interns but they were putting in full-time hours to uh to make our broadcast look 
um, and, and sound like they did uh, in the 2023 season. So, uh, yeah, pre- I appreciate you uh, acknowledging that because, yeah, it's, it's a point of pride. And again, yeah. you know, here with the Tin Caps, it starts with uh, our ownership group, Hardball Capital, led by Jason Fryer and, you know, the resources that he's able to provide our staff with. And I think a lot of people are familiar with Mike Nutter. Uh, he's the reigning minor league baseball executive of the year as our team president. And you know, our broadcast is overseen by our vice president of marketing, Michael Limmer. And, you know, I think we have 34 full-time staff members here, uh, you know, highlighted the grounds crew, video production, and yeah, just fortunate to have a lot of people who are uh, to use a, a cliche, <laughs> uh, you know, pulling the rope in the same direction. Everyone's just striving to, to give our fans here in Fort Wayne a first um, first in class experience. And then, yeah, glad we're able to have that translate to some degree, at least uh, over the uh, over the stream with the broadcast. And it was cool last year to have a number of games picked up on the MLB app. Um, and I guess you could see every game on the MLB app uh, yeah. live. We were kind of the featured game of the day a half dozen times or so. Um, so yeah, kudos to, uh, to everyone there who who works really hard to uh, to do that. And just a quick note too, as an aside, going inside baseball here, so to speak. Let's say you're enjoying a game at Petco. Uh, you might not be aware of this, but there's you know two distinct at least two, sometimes three camera crews working where you'd have the crew that's part of the uh, in ballpark entertainment that you're seeing on the big screens at Petco. Then there's, well, what would have been the uh, Bally Sports San Diego crew now, the MLB produced Padres broadcast, and then maybe the uh, road teams uh, might have some of their own cameras uh, being operated for their TV broadcasts also. Well, here, the crew they're working double duty because when the game action is live they have the camera shots following batter pitcher everything else going on and then you know that third out is recorded there's no chance to rest because now uh you know they're seeking out fans for the dance cam and uh the different (laughs) on-field promotions on the field so they got to be locked in for the full you know two and a half three hours uh plus actually here in fort wayne too where we uh let fans run the bases after every single game you know they're they're even logging time after the last out the fireworks are recorded as they get a uh, video of fans uh running around the bases well you know and i, I don't want to uh you know, i don't want to cut short on the culinary side of of uh, parkview field but you guys were nominated uh for the best alternate identity and you had one of the alternate identity was the uh was the fried tenderloin? Did you guys sell that as well as wear the uniforms? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So the tenderloin is uh, the unofficial state sandwich here in Indiana. There, there actually was legislation that was in uh, motion last year to uh, make it official. Uh, didn't pa- didn't pass, but uh, no politics, no yeah. political talk here. Um, but yeah, sure enough. Not only did we have those uh, special red, white, and blue uh, jerseys, they were designed by our creative director, uh, Tony Displains. They had really amazing detail. Every single county throughout the state of Indiana uh, was written uh, subtly on the jersey. And uh, there was just a a state fair kind of um, motif that extended around the ballpark. So there were the state fairground kind of games out in the outfield concourse. And yeah, sure enough, special order on the menu tenderloin sandwiches our our director of food and beverage bill lane who uh, again you know and uh our head chef uh paisan and michael scheidler a bunch of people behind the scenes there uh they made special accommodations to uh to get i don't know a thousand tenderloins there over the course of four games well wow they were pretty diligent in their planning sure enough that first night by the uh, seventh inning we were already uh nearly sold out so they had to put in an emergency <laughs> order because uh yeah the fans love them some tenderloin sandwiches i think we uh we won that fittingly we won like 10 nothing 10 runs on tenderloin yeah. right um that, uh-huh. that first game so mike nutter he grabbed uh whatever was remaining though he brought him down to the clubhouse i know oh, ethan nice. and at least one of our relievers uh, he, he dove into the post-game spread at Tenderloins. I'm sure uh, others did as well. But, uh, yeah, that was a fun time. And, yeah, cool to see how, um, like you said, that was a finalist for best alternate identity around minor league baseball. And so those jerseys and that theme got some uh, shine on MLB Network. Yeah, you guys might want to consider having a, a permanent Tenderloin stand somewhere yeah. around the ballpark. And the, yeah, the uniforms – 
I, I, I don't mean this in a bad way. They reminded me of the hot dog on a stick. Yeah. You know, hot dog on a stick at the, at the, I don't know if they have it back in Fort Wayne, but out here, that's like an institution at the, at the, the San Diego County fair with the, with the the big stripes and the hats. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. I know what you're saying. And yeah, actually I've seen other ballparks in the Midwest have tenderloins, uh, on sale every game. I think it, you know, to be honest at Parkview field, uh, pre pandemic times, uh, for supply chain uh, issues, uh, kind of threw some things out of whack. We used to have them here uh, all the time as well. But now it's kind of fun that it's uh, something we're bringing back here again this season for a weekend. So, uh, yeah, as long as, you know, everyone can have some patience, uh, they'll, uh, they'll get their fill at least for a weekend here. So I'll, you know, I'll even continue with uh, with just shining on Parkview and the Tin Caps and and their whole crew there. You guys are so much more than just a, a baseball team and a community partner. Partner, you know, the Tin Caps are really a, a community leader. I, I, I feel. Can you talk about some of the some of the uh, events and projects you guys had happen this this season? Yeah, and like I said, this will be the 15th anniversary for the Tin Caps in 2024. So, you know, as uh, everyone can see who's tuned in uh, for the YouTube audience and clips here on social media, you know, Roy uh, has a great uh, background with uh, the downtown skyline feature just outside the ballpark gates. You can kind of see it behind uh, me here as well from Parkview Field. Uh, so, yeah, you know, the, the team is just in the heart of the city, and so yeah. – Credit to the amazing support that the fans have provided here in Northeast Indiana, even into bordering states uh, coming out here year after year and in droves. And so, yeah, the team in turn, you know, tries to be a community partner. So I mentioned there are 66 home games for uh, the high A level in minor league baseball. But out of the 365, or I guess we're a leap year here, 366 uh, on the calendar, you know, there's something happened at the ballpark darn close to like 360 yeah. of those days. Um, so, you know, a couple that uh, that come to mind right after the – shortly after the season ends, late September, Fort for Fitness. It's an annual uh, running festival where the finish line of whether it's uh, – there's different races that include a half marathon, a four-mile run, 10K. But regardless of what race you're in, finish line is home plate. So it's really uh-huh. cool for fans to get a chance to do a lap, uh, their final lap, uh, in their race around the uh, warning track and cross home. Uh, there was a big downtown wide events on Thanksgiving Eve called night of lights. And so the different big buildings here downtown have their own light displays and kind of one by one uh, they're lit up. And then that night culminates with a, a fireworks show here presented by pizza. Hut. So those the are state, the ball, the ball state, um, kind of conference there with the with the students there what was that about yeah we just had a uh, ball state university had a sports business class uh, up here at the ballpark a week before we uh were recording here and that's a partnership that has been going on for uh, as long as the tin caps have been around where our ticket sales staff um they visit ball state's campuses uh, roughly an hour away from uh fort wayne in muncie indiana um and so our ticket sales staff, they'll make some field trips down there to visit with the students and pass along their knowledge of what they do here with the tin caps for those who are aspiring to get a foot in the door working in professional baseball. And uh, then those students actually, um, you know, they uh, they get some real life, real world working experience where uh, they get on the phone and call some of our fans who previously bought tickets uh, and you know see if they're interested in coming back to the ballpark uh, for this coming season. So um yeah that's a, another way that we stay involved and um yeah list goes on you every monday the uh, rotary club here in fort wayne they have their meeting uh in one of the ballpark special event spaces a couple other groups are here on a weekly basis for business conferences not to mention you know we have weddings here holly rainey and uh lexi uh smith whose last name just changed because she got married here at the ballpark so what better testament uh can we have to the quality of the special events crew here than that someone who works here and actually several people who work here have had their weddings at the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, more than baseball is the tagline that we have here um, from again, big time events like last year, Burt Kreischer had a comedy festival yeah. out on the field, but uh, you know, we've had proms uh, in the, the events, Lincoln financial event center, a uh, yeah, whole vast variety of uh of things here that that make parkview feel kind of the 
the hub of the community. All right. Well, you said more than baseball, but I mean, ultimately we're here to talk about baseball. Uh, we want to take a look back at last year um, and run through some players that came through Fort Wayne. Uh, Victor Lizarraga is somebody that we've been following for a while. He's still very young, um, even though it seems like he's been in the org forever. Um, but he was with you last year. He had a bit of a mixed season. Um, did you see him take a bit of a step forward at some point? Oh, 100%. Yeah, it was really awesome to see Liz's progress over the course of the season. I think as uh, the year wrapped up, I heard coaches say they thought they might have seen the most growth uh, out of anyone from him. And uh, that's probably a good thing in a yeah. weird sense, maybe that he struggled in at, at some points in the first half of the season. And again, this is all with the context of the fact that he was 18 years old and was the youngest pitcher uh, in the league last year for most of the season, even at times the youngest player in the league overall. And so uh, for Liz, it was, you know, some growing pains, but he figured things out. And he, he came to learn that, you know, he maybe needed to uh, put in some extra work in between starts when it comes to, you know, preparation for his outing or, uh extra time in the weight room, but I know, yeah, he really earned the trust and respect of everyone in the clubhouse. And then all of a sudden, you know, he pitched like uh, he shoved in the biggest games of the season, yeah. closed out the uh, regular season home schedule, like six shutout innings, then did the same on the last day of the regular season on the road in a must win or uh, not necessarily a must win game, but a game that uh, uh, had postseason implications. Yeah. So he, I think he won the uh, Midwest League pitcher of the week award twice over the, the last few weeks of the season. Um, so, yeah, excited to see now that he kind of learned the, some of those uh, lessons here in um, in Fort Wayne, uh, how he'll be set up going forward. But, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely encouraged by uh, the maturity that he showed uh, as that season went along. Absolutely. And uh, so back at Parkview Field this last season, it's Carter Lowen uh, returning from Tommy John's surgery, uh, just blowing the doors off the competition again. He uh, he seemed to be back to form this year. Yeah, from the surgery. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think again, it's uh, a guy who, as you touched on there, coming off Tommy John surgery, uh, that in itself is uh, a major obstacle and something that I think, as baseball fans now, we are taking for granted a little bit because it is yeah. incredible, amazing. The uh, you know, thanks to uh, the technology of medicine and, and rehabilitation that so many guys are able to overcome it. But it's one of those cases where certainly, you know, progress there is not going to be linear and not to mention just the way baseball works. And, you know, some of his early outings when he came up from Lake Eda here, uh, you know, there was like a, a ball that was dropped in the outfield that was scored as an extra base hit rather than an error that kind of messed up his ERA. And that something similar to that happened uh, multiple times for him early on. But uh, yeah, Carter is a great leader uh, for this team too. And yeah, not to mention though, uh, he showed that he can throw a fastball in the upper nineties, maybe better yet. He showed that he doesn't have to be relying on that. Uh, had really solid secondary stuff. And it was a, a well-earned call up for him to, uh, to San Antonio there at the end of the year. Yeah. So Adam Mazur was the de facto ace of the staff this season. Did did he ever hit a rough patch at all? Didn't sure didn't sure seem like it. Yeah, no, and uh, Adam was uh, was remarkable in his his pro debut because after he'd been drafted in the second round out of Iowa last year, due to all the innings that he threw as he was the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, he didn't have any official game action. Um, but that title of ace, which yeah, again, I think as fans, you know, it's fun for us to to throw around. Good, good situation for the tin caps last year was that it just seemed like whoever had the ball was an ace because I mean Hiro Iriarte, who's now on the forty man roster, uh, he clearly pitched like an ace. Ryan Berger uh, at times had the best numbers on the staff, but yeah, specifically with Adam, yeah, I think um, the way that he operates it's just so smooth and fluid that he kind of makes it makes it look easy. He was putting up video game numbers uh, during his time. Uh, with the tin caps and yeah, mid season was uh, rightfully called up to uh, to the missions there at the double A level. But uh, yeah, Adam, it's crazy because I think he still can project to improve kind of a, a wiry frame, sort of a late bloomer there coming originally grew up in Minnesota, then pitching at Iowa and just like has burst onto the scene here in the last couple of years. And uh, they, a little bit added strength. He's already 
throwing mid to high nineties, uh, pretty nasty, uh, nasty breaking pitch. So yeah, part of this group, right. As Padres, you know, Padres fans right now are, are looking to, uh, to the future, not to say that there isn't a lot to be excited about with what's going to be on the opening day roster here for 2024, but sort of that, that long-term vision here is that the farm system, as you guys well cover, you know, really, um, again, was replenished over the course of the last couple of years. And, you know, Adam's a guy who, uh, yeah, knock on wood, could be in the mix for a rotation spot uh, not too far from now. Absolutely. We'll talk about another ace as the ace of the organization where he made stops all throughout. Like, I don't know why he didn't stop it. I don't know why he didn't, you know, make a start in AAA, but Robbie Snelling made a, a quick stop there with seven starts. Um, pretty stingy with runs. Uh, what did you think of Robbie? Cause we've asked everyone. Yeah. And uh, you know, I would just like to say that for Padres fans credit to the, uh, entire organization but specifically those um in player development and for that matter in scouting initially bringing guys into this organization and franchise uh it's, it's really amazing the quality of people that they're they're bringing in i mean we're going to talk about the talent that they have too but uh i say this earnestly as a broadcaster I'd probably try to put a positive spin on everybody uh, regardless, but these guys make it easy. I don't really need to put any spin on it because they're just genuinely really good people. I know you've had a chance to talk to Robbie and think uh, someone on the coaching staff described it last year that he was when he was 18, 19 going on 37. I mean, just really uh, <laughs> poised beyond his years. Um I mean, one thing that's probably going to stick with me for a long time is that when he made his Parkview field debut through something like five and two thirds innings without giving up a run. And then finally, before that last out in the six, he gave up one, maybe it was two runs. In any case, it was a type of type of performance that everyone, and it was a sellout crowd, like 8,000 people, everyone came away just wowed. And there was Robbie after the game. Um, apologizing for the fact that he right. gave up a run or two like and like he was really sincere um about that and you know was really determined to be better next time out and then i you know i think he did throw like six shutout innings with a bunch of strikeouts in that next performance so just uh a really tremendous person i think um you kind of it's hard to even put a ceiling on on someone like that when they're so self-driven and, you know, they're just going to do everything right off the field. And then, uh, of course, you know, obvious storyline with Robbie, too, is that it's pretty tantalizing to think about what his ceiling can be now that he's really just locked in on baseball after it was only a couple years ago that he was getting offered by every uh, Power 5 college football program to be a linebacker. So, yeah, it's really, really exciting to think about uh, what he's going to be able to continue to unlock here in coming years. Well, another guy that we got to speak to recently was Austin Krobe. Um, he had a pretty good year with you guys as well. Lefty, who doesn't quite throw as hard as Robbie Snelling does, uh, but his pitchability, he he seemed to be able to attack hitters at an advanced level. Yeah, and, and you know, first word that comes to mind um, there with Austin probably is competitor. And, uh, again, I think all these guys obviously prove that they compete at a really high level. But um, regardless of role, I mean, towards the uh, the end of the season, in the playoffs, he was asked to come out of the bullpen, and uh, you know he pitched his butt off and given the Ten Caps a chance to to nearly upset the uh, top seed in the Midwest League playoffs in a long relief outing. And uh, I think he's one of those guys actually who's so fiery, so competitive. Maybe we saw some uh, development from him over the course of the season of like how to harness that the right way. Maybe at times he was a guy who again was uh, going to be too hard on himself with uh, expectations for uh, perfection. And as you know, these guys rise up through the system, the higher you are, obviously at all the talent and competitiveness on the other side, you know, exists too. But, um, but for Austin, yeah, he was a guy who again has kind of come from some uh, humbler beginnings uh, in terms of baseball, uh, as growing up in Iowa, going the junior college route yeah. at first before he uh, broke through at, at TCU. And but I just mean compared to somebody who maybe grew up in South Florida or Southern California and was like immediately on the big time uh, 
prospect circuit as a young teenager. Uh, yeah, I love how Austin's earned earned his opportunities. And uh, yeah, they're not going to find too many lefties who are, who can still throw uh, up into the mid nineties like he can with the the secondary stuff. So um, yeah, again, a guy who's probably not even necessarily on the top ten or top uh, fifteen in a lot of the prospect ranking lists out there, but uh, with his um, experience going through college now into his early twenties, maybe a guy who could contribute uh, in a relief role here again, not too, yeah. not too far away. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the times, uh, you know, pitchers will come up and start in the bullpen and then work the way into the rotation, but let's talk about, let's just get it right out of the way. Uh, Ethan Salas spent a little bit of time in Fort Wayne as well. Um, not as long as we were expecting, not as long as we had hoped, but certainly spent uh, a little bit of time there. What did you think about the young phenom? Yeah, I mean, just uh, kind of uh, insane how at the age of 17, just, you know, unfazed by um, by being at the high A level while everyone else who's 17 in, in Fort Wayne or anywhere in the United States, you know, they're gearing up for senior year of high school and, and whatnot. And uh, yeah, someone who's clearly earned the respect of, uh, of his teammates and you know, just doesn't really come in with, uh, with anything, but an attitude of that he's here to work and that, you know, obviously I think he's probably going to draw some comparisons um, to Fernando as far as a guy who's on the map as a top prospect, not just for the Padres, but a top prospect in all of major league baseball you know, being featured on social media by the MLB accounts, for example. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, Ethan, he has high expectations for himself too. And so he's not going to be overly impressed with what he's able to, to do, whether that's, uh, you know, debuting out in Lake Elsinore at 16 and rising up to, uh, to double a San Antonio, I think. Uh, and he's uh, again, just, Really poised. I know he's described as an old soul. I would, yeah, wish you could have gotten to know his personality a little bit more, but uh, I appreciate the time that we uh, did have with him this past season. Yeah. I'd like to think that you're going to get another look at him. I, I don't <laughs> know. I, I, they could do anything with him. They, they, right. It seems like the sky's the limit, but it makes sense to me to start him off next year in Fort Wayne. Um, so let's move on to the next guy. So Nathan Martorella, uh, he put on an absolute laser show out there. Did he have to pay for any damages that he'd made to the ballpark? Yeah. Well, per- perhaps because whatever numbers uh, Nate put up this year, it certainly feels like he probably could have had at least a half dozen more home runs. It's a little bit of a higher wall in right field. So for him as a left-handed power bat, um, he was victim of the higher wall there. Cause otherwise he was, he was denting the, the upper tier of that wall. Um, yeah. Rem- just a phenomenal season. A guy who posted in terms of playing every single day. You know him, him and Jacob Marcy in tandem uh, were leading all of minor league baseball in games played over the course of their time with the Tin Caps. And uh, yeah, I love the the fire that the passion that uh, that Nathan brought here to the team. Another leader uh, in the clubhouse. Uh, you know, leader on a team too that uh, you know that one here in Fort Wayne made the playoffs. Uh, he had, he put them in position to do that before he was called up to a Double A San Antonio. Um, but yeah, just uh, kind of the again a guy putting that bucket there of ultimate ultimate competitor, just a total gamer. Yeah, we we were impressed when we talked to him just by how driven he was. Like he wasn't talking about like if I make it. He's like he's got it in his mind that I am a major leaguer. I I will be there. Uh, did he actually hit a ball out of the ballpark? It was a foul ball, but I think he hit one all the way to the street. Yeah, I'm sure he, I'm sure he did because yeah, there is a, a street down the right field corner, uh, where a guy like him, yeah, can, can poke one out. And it's one where if all of a sudden it starts rolling down the street too, I don't know where the tape measure, uh, marking stops, but you know, probably <laughs> when you count, when you count the roll towards the sidewalk, like in the old, uh, sandlot days, that's like, you know, five. With the roll, you know, 500 plus. You know, I've always, it's the thing, Mickey Mantle has that home run that they say went 640 some feet. It's like, come on, after how many well, bounces? And it fell on the back of a, of a cement truck. And right. here in Fort Wayne, where there's a really rich baseball history that not everyone's aware of, first professional baseball league game was played here. Not New York, not Boston, Philly, Chicago. It was here in Fort Wayne, the National Association, 1871. But, uh, 
Yeah, then back in the 1920s, Babe Ruth, when he was on a barnstorming tour, he made some appearances here. The Yankees played an exhibition game here. And uh, on the list of longest home runs ever, <laughs> they include a home run that, that Ruth hit here that landed in the back car of a train. <laughs> so, right. yeah, they gave it some, some added carry as it, uh, as it, rolled aw- as it uh, rumbled away. <laughs> made its way all the way across the country. Yeah. So, he set the record straight. Nathan Martorella, we know him as a first baseman, but he spent a lot of time in left field. How did he look out there? Yeah, certainly you know, held, held his own. Um, yeah, I think it's all about versatility these days. And so uh, first base would be his primary position. And yeah, he wasn't making Tatis-esque catches, um, diving for balls towards uh, towards left center field necessarily. But El Zona, don't have the numbers in front of me, but yeah, I, I, honest, I can't think of an error that he made in left field. Uh, it was really, really clean there. And especially, again, when you factor in just all the games that he logged last year, um, <clears throat> admirable that he was just willing to stay in the lineup wherever uh, the, the team needed him and, again, just added to, uh, to his capabilities. All right, so speaking of slugging first baseman, my, one of my favorite stories early on this year was Griffin Dorshing going back there. And I didn't realize that in his college days, he made a visit to, to Fort Wayne and he – hit hit one of the windows out there in that hotel over your right shoulder. Yeah, no, he, this is not exaggerating when he was at Northern Kentucky and he'd then be a grad transfer at Oklahoma state, but at Northern Kentucky 2021. And that was actually the first game, the ballpark uh, hosted here following our lost season because of the pandemic. They were playing Purdue Fort Wayne and he literally dented the building um, out in uh, left field, the Harrison that we call it. Um, left a mark yet, yeah, still, still not necessarily repaired as he uh, dinged the building. And then this year, he's he hit one to the uh, second level of the building off the windows during a game. I mean, his batting practice was probably the most incredible that I've that I've ever seen. Um, and again, that's considering that we once had uh, Toddy here and, and some yeah. other major sluggers. I mean, Joshua Mears this year is another one who could put on a show. But uh, yeah. Griffin, I think you guys got a sense. Uh, terrific personality, really engaging. I well, had him there for the uh, the stretch run of the season, but uh, a, a guy who, yes, literally left his mark here. <laughs> well, talk about a, a guy that's uh, leaving his mark in the organization, you know, Jackson Merrill. Uh, I'm, I'm wearing the Merrill Madness shirt. Thank you, Jenny Merrill. Um, he really did come into his own this year. Like we saw him last year in, in, uh, in, in Lake Elsinore, um, but this year it just seemed like he really embraced the role as a leader. Did the did the team embrace him as a leader, and how did he go? Yeah, well, just at first, uh, well, as you credit his uh, his mom there for the sure, yeah, wonderful family. It was really cool to have them out here at Parkview Field. They were able to see some games on the road too. Um, yeah, probably the best way to describe, you know, just how all in as a teammate Jackson is would uh, technically be post Tin Caps career because he was out in the Futures game in July. And then it would turn out to be after his appearance in the Futures game, he got the promotion to AA San Antonio. But um, as he was flying from the Futures game back east, we had a game that he unfortunately just due to the scheduling. He had to miss, but he was watching the game on the plane and he was sending us messages because uh, that was a game in which the Tin Caps uh, had multiple comebacks. And so he was saying that you know, he woke up the guy next to him on the plane who was sleeping because he was just so fired up. Uh, yeah, I think, again, just uh, sort of the overall culture that I witnessed here, especially this past season, is that guys are, are really there for each other. Um, and I guess I just don't really want to take away like from Jackson's leadership abilities and makeup, but I would say that, and maybe this is an, a, an example of how he is a leader. It's not like he was an alpha um, just on this team because, you know, truth be told, you had guys like Nathan Martorella, Marcos Castagnon, Jacob Marcy. I mean, I could name a bunch of others who uh, I think really were just as much the heart of the team. So just uh, in fairness to everyone, I, I don't think it would be accurate to describe Jackson as doing something, you know, uh, like, putting a cape on and running, running stuff. Yeah. I think though that for a guy who is a top prospect, yeah, it's great that he 
seamlessly fits in though. Um, no kind of uh, attitude in which he'd be, you know, standoffish, just true, true, great teammate fits in uh, with everyone. And um, unfortunately had a slow start to the season, even for someone who grew up in uh, the mid Atlantic in oh, Maryland right. I mean, <laughs> when, when it's 30, 40 degrees in those April games, it's regardless of if you have experience hitting in it before it's, it's not fun. It's not easy to put up numbers. I think back some of the guys who've come through here over the years, I mean, Ty France has basically hit 300 every uh, stop along the way, including in the big leagues, except in Fort Wayne, because yeah, April kind of <laughs> threw the numbers off, but, and then not to mention Jackson had a couple of, uh, Bouts of being under the weather, uh, having yeah. like the flu that uh, slowed things down. But yeah, once he once he got into a groove early part of May, yeah, he was really really elite at just putting the ball in play. Frankly, and that was even more uh, outstanding considering that he was one of the youngest guys here uh, at the high A level this past year. Uh, but yeah, not not only an act to put uh, the bat on the ball, but to barrel it and uh, consistently hit line drives and get on base and you know, his ability at shortstops probably underrated um because like the hit tool gets talked about more but uh really really strong defensively at short and uh yeah just one of the other fun fun prospects we've been able to uh to pull for here at parkview fields yeah, you mentioned that flu i forgot about that there was yeah. uh some illness that swept through your whole clubhouse what was that in april early may there are you know it's kind of crazy going going back here recent years 2021 that first season out of the pandemic we made it through that year somehow without any players contracting covid <laughs> and missing time and then wouldn't you know now the last then there was a small number of guys who dealt with covid during our 2022 season then this past year and it wasn't always covid but uh we had once a month first few months of the season there was a situation where guys were having to hit the shelf um, being sick. So yeah, it was <laughs> kind of threw a wrench, uh, wrench in the start of the season for this group, but, uh, thankfully everyone was able to, uh, you know, not be down for too long. Well, you guys had a whole stream of guys coming through, uh, through your park this year. Uh, Graham Pauly started off like a rocket in Lake Elsinore, but then once he showed up in Parkview field, all of a sudden the power showed up, he had 16 home runs for you guys. Uh, in his 45 games there uh, with Fort Wayne. Uh, what could you tell us about what you saw out of Graham? Yeah, I remember as a kid, there was uh, a book, um, you know, kind of like an early chapter book, introduction to uh, to reading for kids. And the title of the book was uh, the, the Kid Only Hits Homers. <laughs> and that was basically basically uh, the story of Graham Pauly this past year. <laughs> Kidding, though, because he did a lot more than just hit home runs. Um, yeah, he was unreal. Hottest hitter really in all of baseball at any level. I was, you know, at one point in time, just going through uh, through the numbers and he was in the same sentence as Otani for what he was what he was accomplishing uh, during his time as a tin cap. Amazingly down to earth guy. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just kind of can harping on that theme uh, of the guys that we had come through here in Fort Wayne. Kind of like, oh, shucks. Um yeah, Graham, Graham was a blast to cover for uh, the month or two that we had him. You know, and one of his best friends now on the team, uh, you'd mentioned earlier, Jacob Marcy. He talked about several of the coaches there helping him with his swing, helping him with his uh, with, with, with stealing bags. Um, did you see changes from him as the season went on? Because he seemed to get better as the season went on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Jacob was uh, and, and continuing on after his time in, in Fort Wayne, San Antonio, then the fall league. I mean, he was arguably the, uh, the top success story uh, from this past year. I mean, Graham won the organizational player of the year award. And then Jacob got that Arizona fall league MVP. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, just one example of the development that Jacob showed over the course of the season, he didn't necessarily have uh, the, the power, um, on display in the first month or two of the season. I know working with uh, the coaching staff, some adjustments uh, to his swing, and all of a sudden, you know, if a pitcher made a mistake on the inner inner part of the plate, it was gone. And then even towards uh, the tail end of his run with the tin caps, uh, showed some opposite field power over the wall too. Um, but, yeah, just, uh, again, now, don't mean to be repeating myself, but 
you know, appreciate the background for a guy like him, multi-sport athlete in high school in Michigan. And then, uh, you know, wasn't heavily recruited necessarily in part dealt with a significant injury during high school that uh, threw off the recruitment process. But uh, at central Michigan, he balled out and uh, earned his, earned his opportunity with the Padres and, you know, he's, done nothing, nothing but post, uh, again, so far since he was drafted and, uh, again, up there with, uh, Jackson Merrill's family. It was cool to have, uh, Jacob's family since they were only a couple hours away yeah. from Parkview field and even closer with a few of the teams in our division being up in Michigan, uh, frequently being there to, uh, to support him in person, uh, definitely a major highlight of the season. Another really awesome kind of guy too, like both both him and Paula, just like I, yeah. just easy to talk to, no pretension, no like I was just like, hey, you know, we, we talked to him uh, a couple of weeks back, uh, like we could have talked to that kid for an hour and a half, but we're like, okay, we gotta we gotta kind of wrap it up. Um, that that does say a lot about how scouting has has gone above just being the player sure you could pick the absolute best player uh in the draft but really looking at the background doing the um doing the due diligence and the makeup of the player i think goes a long way we're not only just getting along with teammates but being coachable and the coachability of players and and the um and the ability to fail and be okay with it. Like I noticed a lot of talking to those three guys particularly you know martirelli he's like look i'm gonna this is i'm gonna fail um, we talked to Tom Crosgrove er- earlier. Um, it was actually our first live stream, and he talked more about not having pitches that played in Double A or not having stuff that worked in in Fort Wayne and pitching and playing with guys that had better stuff um, than he did. And but the personality, the drive, the uh, the 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 ability to be adjustable and make adjustments uh, to get better really uh really shine through for all those guys yeah just to follow up on that tom definitely one of uh favorite success stories through fort wayne and um and i grew up i grew up uh, not too far away from where he grew up out on the east coast so came in maybe a little bit of bias but uh no he uh that 2018 season when he was here in fort wayne if you think back he was in a rotation with the likes of uh, Mackenzie gore and Luis Patino, and then at the time, even guys who were drafted uh, a bit ahead of him, and Nick Margavichis, and Aaron Lasher, and Mason Thompson was on that staff. Osvaldo Hernandez, who didn't quite pan out, he was the left-handed pitcher of the year in the league. So there were a couple of times where, yeah, Tom was fighting just to have a, a rotation right. spot, let alone <laughs> now be a guy who obviously we're counting on uh, in the big league bullpen um, who can sh- sh- strike out uh, Otani with just – disgusting stuff and uh i know with him specifically you know credit to the to the coaching staff and then his buy-in to uh to change his arm angle go uh go down lower but um yeah like you said i i i've been with the uh the tin caps here now for about a decade and so i don't have a great uh background of working in multiple other organizations to be able to uh to compare it i'm the only uh I'm limited in my, my knowledge of how it's like, uh, in other franchises, but yeah, I think, you know, even though it's a team based out of San Diego here, obviously the scouts uh, all over, I mean, we're seeing now even the international scouting, not only out of Latin America, but out of the, uh, the Pacific rim too. um, just the ability to, uh, to find these diamonds in the rough. And like you said, I think there's something to be said for some of these guys who have little bit of an edge or a little bit of toughness in a good way, uh, whether it's because they were going through cold weather growing up or coming out of uh, mid-major or you know, non, non-power uh, college programs, um, what have you. Yes, there's a drive that's hard to measure. That That is something that uh, yeah, you don't really have like an analytical uh, stat for yet in terms of a guy's drive, a guy you touched on, a coachability, all that, all those intangibles. And uh, yeah, Thankfully, here in the Padres farm system, a uh, bunch of guys checking those boxes. Yeah. Well, so when I think back to my trip out to Lake Elsinore, I got to meet Lee Solomon while I was out there. And he was Fort somebody Wayne. who, 
Yeah, out in Fort Wayne. Yeah, so Lee Solomon, he was second base, utility, did everything. But you talk to the guy, and he was such a such a bright guy and making sacrifices on the field, doing whatever it took for the team to be successful, not necessarily for his own betterment, but for everybody. Um, is there anybody on this year's team that you can think of that kind of fit that kind of a role or had that kind of a leadership outside of the the stars that we've been highlighting? Yeah, no, I'll stall here for a second by just uh, saying, yeah, Lee, I don't know if you've kept up with him. Uh, oh, he, yeah. He retired um, a couple years ago, but at this point now, maybe a little bit more than a couple years ago because I believe he's got his law degree now. Yeah. And uh, hey, he just passed the bar this year. Yeah, yeah and uh, he, he's on the radar. He's going to be super successful no matter what he does. But I know Ken Rosenthal, I want to say it was Ken, had uh, posted about uh, – about Lee at some point in the last couple of years um, as a, a kind of name to know in, in baseball off the field going forward. Um, shoot. Well, here we're talking late January, I guess we're three, four months removed from the season. So I'm a little reluctant to. Uh, well, So, so yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got numbers <laughs> up in front of me and I can see that uh, Lucas Dunn played pretty much everywhere on the field. Yeah. Uh, Marcos Castagnon, I think he rung the bell pretty much every single game for you, for you guys this season. Uh, those are a couple of the guys on the, yeah, you know on the position actually, player uh, side. Yeah. And actually just, uh, and I, I truly do. Uh, appreciate everybody, and so I, I don't want to just call out a couple of guys here right. and leave some others. But at the end of the season, first time ever, the the Tim Caps and the Padres did this in this past year. At the end of the year, we um, honored a couple of guys who just went above and beyond when it came to their community service here during the season in Fort Wayne, and it was pretty awesome. Uh, the Padres and the Tim Caps actually chipped in financially to donate um, to charities of their choice, and so we're talking about. Colton Bender, who on the depth chart was probably the number three catcher for uh, the bulk of the season. But his value, you want to talk about being uh, a leader, tr truly kind of was the uh, the heart of the team in a lot of ways. And then not to mention, <laughs> he sat an uncanny ability for producing as well. No, I was tr tracking the stat of like the team's winning percentage when he was in the lineup. Um, and then Keegan Collette. Uh, relief pitcher might have the best uh, curveball. <laughs> His curveball is up there. Is one of the best in the entire organization. And um, another guy who uh, was uh, a great leader uh, as a as a guy in the clubhouse uh, to go along with uh, with his production uh, on the mound too. But um, you know those guys really earned uh, the recognition there uh, in terms of their uh, community service. So Absolutely. you guys get a lot of family running through there. You you mentioned the Merrill family. I guess it sounds like they were pretty frequent visitors to uh, to Parkview Field. Um, which player had the biggest cheering section? <laughs> hmm. Uh, well, you guys also you mentioned Lucas Dunn and uh, for Lucas about a season and a half here with the Tin Caps. Um, I, I don't. I can't say necessarily he had the the biggest cheering section, although. Uh, you know, a, a guy with nice flowing blonde locks. I'm sure there was probably uh, fans of all different uh, demographics who were <laughs> pulling, pulling for Lucas. But I'll say we have we have one uh, fan. His mom's a season ticket holder who brings him out almost every single home game. Uh, little Benny, we we call him Tiny Tin Cap. He's usually in uniform in the stands, and that means if we're wearing our red jerseys, he's got his red jersey on. If we're wearing our Padres alternate brown and gold, he's wearing that. He's locked into what the uh, what wow. the guys are wearing. Yeah, he's one of those, like sometimes you see in the background on big league broadcasts, you know, a kid who's like mimicking the umpire right. on every pitch. He's right. the type of kid who's doing that in the stands. And uh, I think Lucas became his favorite player. And, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, here, even into the off season, I understand uh, this is this is pretty cool, and this uh, really sums up just the uh, the awesomeness, the beauty of minor league baseball. But uh, Lucas has developed a, a pen pal uh, rapport with uh, with Benny here in Fort Wayne as uh -huh. Lucas it's his off season uh, in Florida training, and uh, yeah, again, you know, just to uh, to talk about the type of people we you know the Padres have here in the farm system that, uh, you know, not only are these guys signing autographs for, for fans all the time, but, uh, 
you know, getting to know, getting to know fans, especially the young fans on a personal level. I'm sure the guys out in the bullpen probably treated him to a, a bunch of baseballs as well at, at various points over the course of the season. But uh, yeah, I think that was a cool one. And just a little story at the end of the season, again, team was fighting for a playoff spot. Lucas, he was, he was uh, sort of the last man standing, so to speak, in terms of being there from opening day all the way through to the end because some of the other guys had been called up late or maybe there were some guys out with injury. Uh, Lucas, just ultimate grinder uh, in the lineup. And it's hard to, hard to even think back to twice in a row, back-to-back nights, he was drilled by fastballs at like 94 one night, 96 <laughs> the other night. And uh, not just anywhere, he got hit in the batting helmet. Oh. Uh, on both occasions, it was, it was scary to see. But uh, then that next night, and this was on the road, Dayton, which is like two hours, 15 minutes away from Fort Wayne. Uh, little Benny, a tiny tin cap, his mom, they made the road trip out there to, to support the tin caps. And uh, Benny had a sign. I forget. I wish I could remember what that sign said. But it was something back in back in Lucas. And, right. uh, yeah, just uh, awesome, awesome uh, to have that kind of fan support here. You know, you can How almost- old is Benny? I think Benny, you know, and he's been a fixture for several seasons now. He's he's playing little league baseball himself, so he's probably up to uh, like second, third grade, eight, eight or nine or so. All right, all right. He might he might be my new favorite tin cap right. now. I need, those, I need to. Yeah. Hey, he actually. You'll have to if you, if you go on YouTube. I think you can actually find a feature story the local uh, ABC affiliate did on him as his tiny tin cap unofficial uh, mascot. And yeah. No, off of this too, if someone here is on YouTube, uh, one of the cool features our team had um, digital content wise this year was actually mentioned Colton Bender and sort of the value he brought to the team. An example of that too would be he was the unofficial team barber. And uh, so there's a cool oh. segment where Colton was given Jacob Marcy uh, a cut in the clubhouse and we had them mic'd up uh, for that conversation during the haircut and they were talking about tiny tin cap and, you know, just having that guy over the course of a long season where, uh, yeah, these guys are wearing down, not to mention being in a lot of cases far away from family, close friends, uh, just to have that kind of familiar face or familiar voice, uh, you know, cheering for them, regardless of whether or not the team's winning or losing, um, having a good week, having a bad week. Uh, he, you know, fans like him and his, and his mother for that matter, uh, always there for the guys, and you know that's that's really cool. Well, you know, one of the things with Lucas done, and we'll kind of we'll we'll wrap it up here in a second. Um, played for Team Germany in the World Baseball Classic qualifier. Um, has that Thor kind of, but he has that Scandinavian kind of. Thor. You put him armor on him, you're like, that's Thor. That is Thor right there. Um, I not well, a bad not, looking guy, you know. What I mean? <laughs> yeah, well, not to counter you on that, but I as far as our potential Thor rankings go for any uh, MILB cosplay, I guess. I mean, Carter Lowen, I think is even more. Thor-esque. He has the flow. Yeah, he's got, oh. the, got the flows a little bit uh, taller. Um, and Griffin Dorshing probably enters the chat there, too. <laughs> he's his own uh, kind of superhero. Okay, so you guys are commemorating 15 years of Tin Caps baseball in Parkview Field. Um, I know you guys just rolled out your promotional schedule, but uh, can you talk about some of the promotions you guys have coming up for this? Yeah, and specific to the 15th season, stay tuned. Uh, hasn't been uh, released yet, but we'll have uh, some special jerseys and hats that uh, the, the team will be rocking for select games this season. Um, and yeah, we're stay tuned. You know, some some content related to that, looking back on the top players and moments um, from Parkview Field's first 15 seasons. But then uh, aside from that, just as far as, yeah, every every year trying to have uh, some fresh promotions at the same time, roll back, run back what's been most popular, resonating with fans. So, yeah, you know, Star Wars Night's uh, an annual tradition. Um, Harry Potter Night has been almost like an every other year one for us. I know there was a cool Harry Potter night at Petco last year. We'll have a Harry well, Potter night. You guys used to be the Wizards. Right. Yes. And where, so, yes. And, and off of that, actually, we will have a throwback uh, Fort Wayne Wizards night um, with those old jerseys and hats. Last year, believe it or not, in the 15 years of Parkview Field now, 
our, our 90s night with the old Wizards gear. That was the top grossing night in the history of the ballpark team store. Um, yeah, you wow. want to talk about sort of that, uh, that nostalgia, nostalgia right that, there. Yeah, the, uh, the thirst for, uh, for the old days. Cause I know Mike Nutter, who was leading the team all the way back in the, in the, the Wizards era, you know, he jokes probably didn't sell that much gear back when the team was actually called the Wizards, but, uh, now it's a, it's a fan favorite night. Uh, one new one here for, for families will be a day where we'll have Bluey here from the popular show that, uh, here in the United States uh, on Disney Plus. And, is it a dog? Uh, is it Bluey? Is a Bluey is a is a is a healer dog. Yep. Uh, so Bluey and his family um, will be celebrated at a game that night. Last year we had a my my niece would be so excited about that. Yeah. Well, we're doing that because last year we had a Paw Patrol day, and it was wild to see the line to get a picture taken with the characters from Paw Patrol. And uh, yeah, kind of one of the images that's one of the one of the lasting images for me from last year. This applies really to all the guys, but especially seeing like Nathan Martorella, who's just this hard nosed, hard nosed dude uh, who's jacked wearing the jersey with the Paw Patrol characters on him. Um, but uh, they were they were they were like a dry fit material, so they they were comfortable. So guys, you know, didn't have an issue uh, with those whatsoever. You didn't have a Chris Sale moment where somebody takes the scissors and <laughs> thankfully not. You know what? You guys maybe have heard this from uh, others in the organization, but a couple years ago when uh, Robbie Cano had his stints with El Paso, I remember Robbie made his Chihuahua's debut, and it probably would be kind of you know silly enough just to see him wearing a Chihuahua's jersey. But uh, his debut came on their Nickelodeon night when he was wearing SpongeBob, and yeah. uh, sure enough, I heard, oh yeah, yeah you know, credit credit to Robbie. Um, he was like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's cool. It's fun. I think that's something that definitely is a generational shift where, especially as I don't even know guys who are certain, what is, uh, Leo DeVries, what generation would he even be, uh, considered now as a 16 year old signee It's probably beyond generation Z, whatever's next. Uh, These guys are, these guys grew up with social media. They're down with sort of the the goofy, silly stuff, uh, having fun. So yeah. And then yeah, tincaps.com is the full list of promotions because yeah. spend another hour talking about those, but well, uh, and here, I guess talking with you guys, hopefully, you know, won't get in trouble with lawyers, but we'll have one night. That's pretty much an ode to, uh, the bachelor franchise. Cause the golden bachelor, uh, actually is, uh, from the Fort Wayne area. And, uh, oh. I don't know if we'll have a special guest that night, potentially. Um, Maybe have, a wedding uh, could have a wedding. We don't know. I don't know. How's that work? <laughs> well, that one already <laughs> ends. So maybe we'll have a different someone else's wedding. We'll see. There actually is something to that. Stay tuned. And um, we'll have a night here. Actually, Taylor Swift 15 years ago. Uh, Taylor Swift is coming to Fort Wayne. Woo! She came to Fort Wayne 15 years ago in June. And so we're actually playing a game on the anniversary of that concert. So, um, you know, something something to that for uh, for Swifties out there. Yeah. Pretty much something for everyone. Uh, again, some of the popular ones we had, like the Tenderloins, our Manzanas, Luchadores, Hispanic Heritage yeah. series. We'll have uh, our Fort Wayne Daisies throwback to the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League team. Yeah, it's just uh, Morgan Olson, uh, our assistant director of, uh, of marketing and promotions, along with the rest of the crew. Um, Emma Reese and the team. Sorry, they've got some, some really great stuff uh, coming up this year. You, well, John, as usual, you come and you kill it, and we have a blast, and it's fun, and we can keep talking here for for another half an hour, forty five minutes. At but least we know we know you you went to the ballpark to do this for us, so um, we're gonna let you go. We thank you so much. Get home. Um, thank you so much, and we can't wait to you know promote all this content in the next coming season. Yeah, whether it's uh, flooding or uh, ice and snow, everyone out there stay safe uh, until we get to baseball season. Hopefully better forecast then. But, uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on here. Truly appreciate all the coverage that you provide, not just of the prospects, but, you know, you guys do such a great job telling the story of minor league baseball and capturing really the essence of, uh, of minor league baseball players and beyond that. 
even uh, the franchises too, like we have here in Fort Wayne. So appreciate you. Yeah, Roy, now you're kind of overdue for uh, a visit. Donovan, I, I know. Point, I'm, I'm reluctant to say it, but you are kind of slacking. It's really the only area in which you're not excelling um, with uh, Friars on the farm. There is a there is a plan in place in the in the future. In the future, I, I may be in the area. I may be in the region in the coming years. Um, uh, looking at at uh, north e northwest uh, North Carolina, so I won't be too far away. I'll be able to drive there for a long weekend, but uh, certainly well, I I will some I will make it in the next in the next several years. I will um, definitely try to grace uh, you with my presence. You Sooner rather than later, man. You've got to get out. Th- I keep telling Donovan, you gotta you know, go. It's yeah, such a great park. It's so cool. In the next fifteen years, you you better. Right. And um, <laughs> I'm waiting for the thirtieth. <laughs> no, no, got to be sooner than that. But uh, yeah, thanks again for. For having me on, and yeah, maybe next time we'll have to make it like a two-parter. So, um, so we're, I'm not rambling here too too long for just one episode. Well, we appreciate you calling in and taking the time. Thank you so much. Yep. Thanks uh, finally to you guys and for everyone out there tuned in and who follows uh, the, the Padres Farm System. Uh, yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for uh, whether your your eyes, your ears, uh, your dollars, maybe even uh, appreciate you.